0: Welcome to Howard David Live. We're going to take a bite of the Big Apple with the great columnist from the New York Post, Steve Serby. How long have you been writing for the Post, Steve? Uh,
1: This is my first
0: week. I just started. Yes. I could tell by your columns. Yeah. Uh, It's my, um, I'm in my fifth decade, believe it or not. Wow.
1: 70s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, or sixth. I don't know what it is. I just, I started at the Post 1972 as a copy boy and, uh. Work my way down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, briefly
0: went to the Daily News in '93, '94 for 16 months, and then uh, was fortunate enough to, to come back to the one and only New York Post. Well, it's uh, it's an all star array. Yourself, uh, Mike Vaccaro, Ian O'Connor, uh, Mark Canazero, a uh, lot of great writers with the New York Post. You've seen it all, uh, but I don't know how you can draw a parallel to what you've seen and heard about in the last two to three days as it relates to Brian Flores and the Giants, Brian Flores uh, and the NFL and the lawsuit and the allegations that he has made, which have been met with denial by the Giants, denial by uh, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I don't really know where to begin other than the fact that this is a real, this is a real serious situation, and I don't know that it's going to get better before it gets worse. Well, uh, as usual, we're going to have to wait until, till the, till the courts decide, and um, yeah,
1: unfortunately, it's uh, it's going to be a little bit of a cloud over the Super Bowl, and uh, uh, you know, I spoke to Harry Carson yesterday, and Harry worked since two thousand five. He was the uh, uh, the executive director of the fritz pollard alliance and he's been trying to affect uh change with african-american head coaches ever since and uh now we have we have a situation we have one african-american head coach mike tomlin and we have a minority coach in ron rivera but uh, harry told me that he's just uh, he's now a consultant He got tired of banging his head against the wall. He'd meet every year with the NFL uh, powers that be. And uh, the Rooney Rule can only do so much because ultimately it's the billionaire white owners who decide who they want to be the face of their franchise. And the face of their franchise uh, is almost exclusively a white face now. the nfl has done has made progress as far as getting coordinators uh, black black coordinators uh hired but not enough and they're just not considered uh, for the most part by the owners to be the face of their franchise so that's where we are right now and um the the league uh took steps publicly uh following the george floyd uh, tragedy to be to announce that they were they were all in as far as being progressive, but all in means more than
0: one uh, black head coach. I, I read your article uh, uh, when you interviewed Harry Carson. Uh, I've known Harry for a long time. He's one of the real guys. He's one of the guys you never forget because he's such a quality individual. Aside from being a terrific linebacker for the Giants, uh, and he's uh, when he speaks, you do listen. Uh, So you've got a situation now where Brian Flores has basically put his career on the line. Uh, And he was asked yesterday on, I think it was CNN, John Berman asked him the question, uh, if you get a job, will you drop the lawsuit? And he didn't even waste any time. He said no. So what he's doing basically is saying, you know, I'm all in. Uh, There's still some head coaching jobs open. Uh, I would be hard-pressed to believe that he's going to get a head coaching job because I don't know that any other team in the league is going to want to get into this controversy.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's a big reason why Colin Kaepernick hasn't gotten back in and um, teams, owners don't want to deal with what would be now a a distraction. Um, And, yeah he's uh he's put his career on the line and uh he's he's content trying to uh shine a light on a problem that uh will help others other black uh black coaches down the line um uh it's you know it's a it's a courageous stand to make and uh harry carson applauds him for making it and um the most troubling part of, the, of what he said was the Stephen Ross allegations, because mm. that, that uh, goes to the integrity of the game. Uh, 100,000 asking Brian Flores, giving him, offering him $100,000 to tank, and lose as many games as he can. And again, those are allegations Stephen Ross has denied them, uh, but that has to be more troubling
0: than anything to the NFL powers that be. You read the articles in the South... And I talked to David Hyde the other day, who writes for the South uh, South Florida Sentinel. And David Hyde basically said that, that um, uh, the reason for... And we all were, were stunned, right, when Brian Flores got fired by the Miami Dolphins because of what he had accomplished in three years down there. Um, he, David Hyde said that... Um, that Flores had interpersonal problems with relationships, particularly with the general manager, Chris Greer. Now, if you know anything about Stephen Ross, he shows up twice a year to Miami. So whatever information he's getting is from the general manager. And if the general manager is saying that Flores is difficult to get along with, that's what Stephen uh, Ross is going to believe, right? Well, Stephen Ross would have a choice to keep either to keep
1: his general manager or to keep his head coach. Um, he apparently uh, thinks or thought he could get a better head coach. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. Uh, he, he denied any interest in John Harbaugh. Both of them are Michigan men. Um, and Harbaugh, Harbaugh may have been using the NFL to get a nice little raise out of Michigan, because Harbaugh is now staying in Michigan. But uh, he did interview with the Vikings, but he's staying in Michigan. Um, yeah, I mean that would be a problem if your GM and head coach don't talk. But um, you know, the, look, where there's smoke, there's fire. Something smells fishy with the Dolphins, so to speak. And uh, there, there were also issues with Tua as to whether Flores was on board with Tua right. as the fran- as the franchise quarterback. And uh, that that also, I'm sure, uh,
0: played a role. In whatever dysfunction was going on down there in Miami, uh, New York Post Steve Serby was taking a bite of the Big Apple with Steve. Uh, uh, th- th- and now, uh, Flora's response when he heard about what Stephen Ross said, he basically is saying this is a smear campaign. Uh, and and when you when you look, I'm not going to make judgment on that because I don't know. But I, I, all I see what's what's on the surface. Now, the Rooney Rule, the intention was good initially, but it hasn't worked. Quite obviously, it hasn't worked. You got one head coach in the NFL that's African-American, and Mike Tomlin, who, by the way, I don't believe has had a losing season in all the time he's been in Pittsburgh. Uh, and then you look around. Well, it's, ironic, there, it's ironic that uh, the Rooney Rule worked with the team whose owner was named Rooney. Right, right. No, you're right. That's a, that's a good observation. So now you look are there any African-American general managers in the NFL? I don't believe so. Oh, well, Chris Greer. Oh, okay. You're right. Uh, You're right. Yeah, no, there there are Andrew yeah. Berry with the Browns. Okay. Uh, there 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 are. Yeah, the Rooney Rule
1: has has helped helped uh, not greatly, but it has helped put African Americans in uh, some GM positions and uh, coordinator positions. The Giants, for example, two of their three coordinators last year and possibly this year are African Americans. Um, so, uh, but, but everybody looks at the head coach. Why isn't that's what Harry was, was disappointed in. Harry Carson was talking about how uh, disappointed he is that the Jets have hired Herm Edwards and Todd Bowles and the Giants have not had a, an African-American head coach. So the Rooney Rule, has, uh, again, has not helped uh, on the sidelines with head coaches, with head coaching hirings. Uh, it has not helped
0: to a degree, with coordinators and front office people. Uh, I was kind of um, interested in the, uh, the conversation about the Bill Belichick text that he sent that Brian Flores received. Uh, Belichick said he screwed up. Uh, he meant to send it to Brian Dable. So now Belichick knew about the hire before Flores did, and he hadn't even interviewed for the job yet. Uh, first of all, I'm wondering, how many times have you sent a text to the wrong person?
1: Belichick, yeah. Well, I don't think I don't think Belichick is uh, is a genius at texting as, as he is on the sidelines. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if Belichick knew or somebody told him that Dable was the favorite, or he read that Dable was the favorite. I, I don't know how accurate that is or how meaningful that is. To be honest, um, Dable was the favorite all along uh, because of his relationship. With Joe Shane, the, the the new Giants GM, now now Shane, um, if he Shane interviewed uh, Flores on a Thursday, uh, that was his second interview, first in person, which met the requirement of the Rooney Rule, and then and then Shane interviewed Leslie Frazier on Friday, and then the Giants decided Friday night. So I, I don't I, I don't buy, I don't necessarily buy that Belichick knew. I, I don't. I have my doubts about that. I, I I just think that everybody, I think most people thought that Dable was the favorite going in, and I thought that Flores had a shot if he could have blown the Giants away in the interview because John Mara liked him. Well, Shane liked him too. He was on all the lists of the GMs, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to give the Giants the benefit of the doubt here. I don't I'm not 100% convinced Belichick knew for certain uh, that that Dable was going to be hired um, unless he spoke to Joe Shane or John Marrow, And I don't think that Marrow would have told him, yeah, uh, Dable's our guy. Um, I just think that Dable was the
0: favorite all along. Let me ask you this now. Let me play devil's advocate. If I'm the guy that's doing the hiring of a head coach for my football team, and on one side I've got Brian Dable, uh, comes highly recommended, coached under Belichick, coached under Nick Saban. Uh, he's got some you know, great roots in that area, but he's been a coordinator. On the other side, i got Brian Flores, who's been a head coach for three years with some success. Why would I hire the guy who's been the offensive coordinator and not the guy with head coaching background? Because of familiarity. Okay. All right. Plain and simple.
1: All right. And, and uh, it doesn't hurt having a guy who helped Josh Allen become an elite quarterback when you have Daniel Jones desperately needing someone to change the arc of his career. So those are two uh, pretty important uh, factors that I'm sure that did play a role in Dable's hiring. Now, plus, plus Flores, yeah, Flores did tremendous job in miami there's no question he didn't have a lot of talent but flores and the quarterback he didn't develop the quarterback he didn't he didn't apparently want the quarterback so there was there was a a a level of friction between flores and tua uh and you know he benched Tua a couple of times he benched him for ryan fitzpatrick uh, in his rookie season so I think the
0: handling of the quarterback had to be a big factor in the Giants' thinking as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so now what you have is you've got coaching uh, hires already been made in Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels. You've got the Giants hiring Dayball, Chicago hires Everfluss, Minnesota recently, I guess yesterday or this morning maybe, Kevin O'Connell has been hired. Uh, all right. co- co- coincidentally, all white coaches uh, still out there. Miami, Jacksonville, New Orleans, Denver, and Houston, and you know that Brian Flores is not going to get one of those jobs.
1: Well, uh, probably not at this point. Well, yes, You know, un- unless the Texans can repair things with Deshaun Watson, because Deshaun Watson wants to play for Flores, wouldn't that be something if they hired Flores and they bring Deshaun Watson back? Um, that's probably a long shot at this point, but uh if there if uh nick casario in any way can uh can begin this massive rebuild by patching things up once deshaun watson's legal problems are resolved and that's that's another factor there uh but that's a long shot right now but 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 watson did does is on record or has his people are on record saying that he would love to play for Flores. That
0: that would be the the only way I could see uh, that kind of pairing. Well, the uh, 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 Watson's legal issues are the wild card here. You know, who knows All when right. that's going to get settled?
1: Yeah, and, and Watson was obviously uh, never a, never a thought in John Mara's mind. There was no way the Giants were going to uh, uh, sign off on
0: Deshaun Watson as one of the faces of their franchise. All right, let's deal with the football part of this. Now, you mentioned Daniel Jones. I remember uh, talking to Carl Banks early in the season, uh, and I asked him if this was a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones, and he emphatically said no. I, I don't know that uh, if we're going to go into the next season and it's going to be make-or-break year two for Daniel Jones.
1: Yeah, no, this is make-or-break for him because uh, they'll probably decline the 50-year option and he's got to prove himself to the new head coach. Uh, that Everybody raves about him. All the GM candidates wanted to work with him. Um, you know, he's got all the physical tools. He's, he's wired right. He's dedicated. He's committed. Uh, but he hasn't shown it yet. His third year was in, inconclusive, in large part because of the uh, dysfunction at offensive coordinator. And the fact that he lost six games at the end of the year because of his neck injury. No, he showed more flashes as a rookie under Pat Shermer than he has the last two years under Joe Judge. So, year four, uh, this is it. It's put up or shut up. And he's probably lucky that this is a lousy or or subpar quarterback class in the draft. Um, Unless... Unless Joe Shane and Brian Dable fall in love with a Kenny Pickett, uh, with a uh, Sam Howell, or with a Willis from Liberty, uh, unless they fall in love with one of those guys, and a lot can change between now and the draft, but uh, this is this is his basically his last chance to prove that he's the quarterback of the future, because. The draft class in 2003 will compel Shane and Dable to draft a quarterback if Daniel Jones does not prove it. So yeah, it's put up or shut up this year. It was—I thought it was put up or shut up last year, but because of the, uh, as John Mara said, we've done everything we can to screw this kid up, <laughs> and uh, that's about—that's about accurate. Um, so yeah, uh, they want him to succeed. They believed—they have believed all along. Uh, ownership has that this kid uh, was the perfect uh, successor to Eli Manning uh, he, he conducts himself like Eli Manning says all the right things, does all the right things, is respected greatly by his teammates uh, and they, they really want this to work but uh, you know again uh, he's got to prove it because he hasn't proven it since his rookie year He's regressed since his rookie year for many, many reasons. But uh, now he's got a new head coach, a quarterback whisperer, so to speak. And um, this is it. Let's see what he does. Um, They're optimistic that that he's not going to be Josh Allen because that's unrealistic. But they believe he can be a top 15 or maybe even top 10 quarterback. Uh, And he's got the weapons. They got him the weapons last year with Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney who could not stay on the field last year either. Um, but you know what they have to do? Uh, top priority to, to, to help him succeed, aside from Brian Dable, is fixing this offensive line, which has been a nightmare, has been a mess ever since Dave Gettleman, even before Dave Gettleman took over. Gettleman, of course, vowed to fix it
0: when he arrived, and he never fixed it. Well, the, uh, the Giants have the luxury of two top ten picks in the draft, which could help. Uh, they may go offensive line with both of those picks. Who knows? But, uh, you know, to be fair to Daniel Jones, he was injured this year. His wide receiver core was beaten up all year, right? So, and the tight end situation never got any better.
1: Yeah, uh, Sterling Shepard was, was lost. Galladay was in and out of the lineup. Gadare's Tony was out more than he was in. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh... Not a not a not a not the picture that the Giants painted at the start of the season when they when they signed Galladay to a 72 million dollar contract. They drafted Kadarius Tony after they after they drafted after they went down uh, after the trade with the Bears to secure another uh, 2022 number one draft. That they, they that was all designed to get Daniel Jones over the hump, and uh, obviously he. He hasn't gotten over the hump, and that's why this is a make or
0: break year. Now, to the best of my knowledge, the Giants don't have a lot of cap room, so they can't go into the free agent market. No, they did that last
1: year. They, they, they you know, they splurged on Gulladay. Uh, that was their big, and and Dory Jackson, you know, because they they were convinced that they were going to make a run at the division title, and you know you can't blame them. Be uh, I could, you know, it's the NFC least the, uh, a year prior. They they almost made the playoffs with a six and ten record, so. They figured that the uh, division was there for the taking, and uh, understandably so. And um, we saw how it turned out. It was not there for the taking, not by them.
0: Uh, I'll tell you what an idiot I was before the season started. I picked the Giants to win. To, you don't have to tell me. I, I already know, Howard. What? <laughs> that I picked not the not Giants not to kidding. win the division?
2: No, no, I'm just
1: kidding. I already know you're an idiot.
0: <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Just, well, you see, that, that's that's universal knowledge. That's not news-breaking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll stand up and take the hit. No, they. I picked the Giants to win the division. I really did. And uh, uh, look, I'm not going. I don't go. The injuries obviously play a role, and everybody says, "Well, you got to play through injuries as part of the game." That's a bunch of bull. I mean, you have. If you have significant injuries, I don't care how talented you are, it's going to hurt. Oh yeah,
1: the Giants are going to do a deep dive into into why all these injuries have happened. They've got they've got arguably the best. Uh, trainer uh, in the NFL and Ronnie Barnes, who incidentally is is African American, but um, it's just just one of those things, I guess. I mean, it's it's, it's befuddling to them, and uh, uh, no team no team can weather the kind of injuries the Giants had. Uh, but you know, for them to collapse the way they did, and for Joe Judge to uh, deliver his epic rant, and then a try quarterback sneaks from the shadow of his own goal line. And, uh, he had to go, Joe judge had to go. And, um, yeah, it, uh, Oh, I thought they, I thought they finished second in the division. I thought, actually, I thought Washington would win. Uh, yeah. Shows you, what I, shows you what I know. I thought the, I thought the Eagles would be last. It's a crazy division, but it's definitely a division that still is there for the taking. Um, uh, you know the, the Cowboys obviously would have to be the favorites, but something always seems to go wrong with the Cowboys. So, if Brian Dable can get Daniel Jones to play at the level the Giants think he can play at, and Galladay stays healthy and becomes the uh, possession receiver that they paid all that money to, um, and Saquon Barkley, a lot of ifs, of course, Saquon Barkley can bounce back, but again, the key is they've got to that offensive line because they're, they're, nothing's going to change uh, until
0: they fix the offensive line and they need another pass rusher as well. Well, that's uh, there's a premium of pass rushers available. I don't think the Giants, where they draft, are going to get the Hutchinson kid out of Michigan. He could go number one overall.
1: Yeah, I've got my last mock draft. I had the Jaguars taking Evan Neal, the offensive tackle, massive offensive tackle. Uh, the Giants, though, they look if they're interested in this other Michigan kid, Otabo, uh, he, he's, he's kind of raw, but, um, you know, he, he could be a guy because they need a guy uh, opposite or, or to help Leonard Williams at last year's uh, number two pick, Aziz Ocalari. Uh But look, if Joe, Joe Shane has an eye for talent, one of the reasons he was hired or big reason was he's a tremendous evaluator. So, he, you know, last year the Bills needed needed pass rush. He took Gregory Rousseau and uh, Boogie Basham. No, not Boogie Basham. His second name is Basham. Uh, maybe it's Boogie. But anyway, he took in the first two rounds uh, Rousseau and Basham. And, and uh, he'll, he'll find a pass rusher. I mean, if he's looking for a pass rusher, I have confidence that Joe Shane will find one, whether it's with the seventh pick or in the second round, uh, that remains to be seen. But that
0: that has to be a priority because uh, aside from the offensive line, uh, they need uh, they need a pass rusher. Uh, you mentioned Michigan. That reminded me of uh, Jim Harbaugh, who supposedly visited with Minnesota in the NFL uh, on the day that was signing day in college football. And I'm thinking to myself, if Michigan didn't home all that money. They should have fired him on the spot because, I mean, what the hell are you doing? I mean, somebody referred to Harbaugh yesterday. I thought it was hilarious. Said he could screw up a one-car funeral. <laughs> well, uh, why why would he say that? He just beat Ohio State. Yeah, for the first time. <laughs> well, I know, but, uh hey...
1: Better
0: late than never, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because I don't know anything that could have taken the retirement of Tom Brady off the front page of the sports section and the whole Brian Flores issue. But speaking of Brady, uh, I, I was I surprised he retired? Not really. I, I was just thinking the only thing that might have enticed him to stay was that he left with a, on a loss and if he had won a super bowl this year i could see it but that was not in the cards and then comes the aaron Rodgers issue and you see to yourself everybody's talking about where he's going he can't go anywhere unless the packers trade him well i know but if he if he makes uh, makes it
1: known that uh he's going to retire or he bluffs that he's going to retire uh where does that leave the packers but Brady, you know, Brady's wife, Giselle, has wanted him to retire for years. And uh, uh, he apparently um, decided that uh, it's time to, to spend more time with the family uh, while he's still healthy. And he's got other things going on in his life. Uh, I, it just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if Brady, at some point, pulls a bread Favre, unretires, and um, decides that he has more to give. Because he does have more to give. Look at the level he played at these last two years. Yep. Uh, I, I think part of his thinking might have been that maybe maybe he knew Gronkowski was going to retire. Maybe he was unsure about whether the Bucks had peaked and whether they might start hitting downhill. Uh, because he's in it to win it, period. Um, but look, he's got such a competitive fire. And he still loves the game. He loves playing quarterback. He loves the camaraderie in the locker room. He loves leading his men and making them believe. It. It. it, it I'm not 100% convinced that we have seen the last of Tom Brady, and I hope we haven't, because I'd love to see him play on and
0: on and on. Uh, if my wife made $45 million a year, I'd retire.
1: No, you wouldn't. You, you, you're, you're in this for the love of
0: the game. <laughs> I uh I, I look at and it's funny to me that he, Jimmy Garoppolo the other day standing up at the podium saying he wants to get traded to a team that can win. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, why is everybody beating up this poor guy the the 49ers didn't lose because of Jimmy Garoppolo right? Yeah, well, well, if he wants to be with an organization that's going to win he, he, he could stay where he is. He's got
1: you know but obviously the 49ers drafted his successor Trey Lance. Last year, with the third pick overall, so uh, Garoppolo was was ba- knew all along that he was basically a, a placeholder this year, and uh, again his his lack of clutchness in the fourth quarter, which cost them a Super Bowl a couple of years ago against Mahomes, and again this year uh, in the uh, in the NFC Championship game against the Rams, you know he's. They love him. They love him as a person. They love the way he handled it. But they don't love him as a quarterback in the fourth quarter with a big, big game on the line. And uh, that's why uh, he won't be playing for a winning organization like the Niners. So, yeah, who wouldn't want to play for a winner? But, uh, you know, he's not – if you're looking for a guy who can win a Super Bowl, Garoppolo uh, has not proven he's that guy. Right Now, he could be a placeholder again. With a winning organization if he lands on his feet but um yeah he uh, he'd be the best backup in football by the way he'd be the best backup quarterback in football he could probably play for 10 years in that role if he wanted to but of course he doesn't want to he's too young but uh good
0: guy good quarterback but not a great quarterback all right we're about 10 days away from the super bowl uh everybody's falling in love uh, uh with the cincinnati quarterback yeah, i mean you know, cool Joe is, 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 I'm impressed with his nerve. I mean, he gets sacked nine times in a game. He, he hangs in there. Doesn't look like he's rattled. Uh, showed a lot of, uh, poise under pressure. Uh, you on the surface, you'd say the Rams are the better team, but I'm not ready to say it's going to be that easy to make a decision on who's winning this game.
1: No, it, it never is. I mean, I, you know, I've got to study some more tape uh, to be honest. Um, but the key to the game, Uh, I believe will be whether the Bengals' offensive line can keep Aaron Donald, uh, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd off Burrow. Now, Burrow was sacked nine times by the Titans and took a licking and kept on ticking. I mean, the guy's got tremendous toughness, tremendous poise, tremendous resilience. Uh, So that, to me, is the key to the game because if, if they can... You know, the old defense wins championships... Uh, if the Rams win, it, it's going to be because defense wins championships. And uh, I, the Rams defense is a formidable uh, roadblock for Joe Burrow. That offensive line cannot keep those guys off of him.
0: It's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Steve, I appreciate your insight, man. Thanks a million. And you stay safe.
1: Anytime. By the way. You're not an idiot. You're
0: you're great at what you do. I was only kidding. <laughs> oh, come on. I know you're too long. I know you're too long. To, first of all, I know you're too long to take you seriously. Uh,
1: that's a good good point. That's very wise on your part.
0: <laughs> you stay safe, my man. You too. Thanks, Howard. Take care. Bye. Steve, Steve Serby, the New York Post. He's a piece of work. He really is. He's got. A, he's got. He does a great job in writing. He does a great. He's got a great way about him and. I always enjoy reading his material. I'm gonna switch gears and talk a little. NBA basket the ball with Brian Geldsiler of SiriusXM NBA Radio. Brian, you with me? I'm with you. How are you, boss?
2: Good up, pal, how you doing?
0: I can't complain. Nobody cares, you know. That's it. <laughs> No, I mean, end, no one gives a crap. No, you go, you I see, I go by the rule of mob movies because you always remember a line from a mob movie, right? And so no. that's that's from the Bronx tale. And Sonny says to the kid, Nobody cares. That's
2: it. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It, 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 it's funny. I always, when people talk about political opinions, Howard, I always go with the Livia Soprano theory. What the hell makes you think you're so special? <laughs>
0: I couldn't. She got on my nerves. I don't mind telling you. Oh, I
2: love her. I love her. Was, you know, she was an emotional black hole. There's many like her out there, Howard. Oh I don't yeah. One like it, but there's many like her out there. Uh, let's
0: take a bite of the Big Apple first uh, and talk about two teams that in the beginning of the year we thought uh, that the Knicks would be relevant because they made the playoffs last year, even though they got ousted in five by Atlanta. We thought that the Nets were going to challenge for a championship. Now you've got both teams heading south for different reasons. First, the Nets losing six in a row now. No Kevin Durant. Uh, James Harden uh, is playing with a bad hand, and he was dreadful last night with four points. He couldn't hit anything, and he wasn't the only one. Kyrie Irving had a, a bad day also, uh, and so they lose to Sacramento. Uh, I don't know when Durant's coming back, I guess after the All-Star break, but how soon after the All-Star break? Well, that's the question, and you would hope, I
2: would hope that they get Durant back for March 1st. Let's start with the Nets, and we'll get to the Knicks in a minute. The Nets are still a title contender. They're only four games in a loss out of the number one seed. They're only two games in a loss column out of the number two seed. They're still a title contender because they're going to get Kevin Durant back are there concerns sure there are concerns you would like to think that at one point you're gonna have Kyrie Irving full-time that's the biggest thing that's hanging over this team's head because if they get him full-time that's gonna pretty much cure just about everything that ails them including James Harden's discontent and his general bad attitude because Harden's body language on that floor it's absolutely ridiculous it's a, he's you can see he is not emotionally engaged right now again it came to play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving he's only playing with Kyrie Ir- Irving part time and Kevin Durant's hurt and for Harden he doesn't really see what Kyrie Irving sees on the stand Irving's taking with not getting vaccinated I will also tell you this and I think this is very important to note regarding Kyrie Irving and him playing full-time for the Nets this season Caseloads are way down in New York right now, and there very well might come a time sooner rather than later when New York City Mayor Eric Adams waives that vaccine mandate for large group gatherings. That would allow Irving to play full time for the Nets. I think the most likely scenario of Irving coming back full time is going to be that as opposed to Irving getting vaccinated. And I think, frankly, Irving's not even considering getting vaccinated because he believes that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And I don't think it bugs him to play part-time right now, which bugs James Hart. But I, I think that we would be foolish to write off the nets right now when so many, you know, a couple of things can happen that would really put them in much better position. The Knicks, Howard...
0: Well, hold it Before you go there, before go you go there, uh, let me come back. Uh, you, you, you put together an illustration of what possibly could happen with the, uh, with the mandate in New York. But short of that, based on the track record of Kyrie Irving in Cleveland, Kyrie Irving in Boston, where he's been a difficult, and I'm being kind, he's been a royal pain in the butt. The fact of the matter is, if that mandate is not lifted, what makes anybody think that he's ever going to play at home again?
2: Well, I, I, I think the mandate's going to be lifted at one point or another. The mandate could be lifted and then put back on, and then you have the same issue happening all over again. And this is also one of the reasons that the Brooklyn Nets have not offered they they pulled the contract extension off the table for them. So I, I think time's going to tell there. I don't think the mandate stays forever, but you know, we also know that you know the whole pattern of COVID is not linear either. Right. No, you're so, right. You know, it, it ebbs and flows. So I think we could see that come off coming into spring and summer because again caseloads are down right now and when you read and and listen to what experts are saying regarding omicron um you're not likely to see any kind of major spike with this in the places that it's come down already because of the general level of immunity the large majority of the population has developed to it till sometime in the fall where that immunity starts to wane and it could rear its ugly head again. But that we're looking a long way off. So my point is is I think there's going to be some political pressure to remove some restrictions, and and I think Irving benefits from that. Now, once Irving is there, assuming he is back full-time and Durant is healthy, the Nets are a happy place, Howard. Everybody likes being with each other. Everybody likes playing with each other. They're a very good team. So I, I think that... Listen, I don't know that James Harden wants to stay in the Irving soap opera after this season, and what happens for this summer going into next year is going to be very, very interesting to watch. There's no doubt about that, and I don't think that James Harden is long for staying with the Nets to continue to play with Kyrie Irving because obviously, listen to your point, point. If it's, and I'm an Irving fan, and I'm somebody that... Has tried very hard to see things from Kyrie Irving's standpoint because I, I do believe there's a bigger picture here with him, and I don't think he's a bad guy. I just don't. And but I will also say this: I think James Harden's had enough. I think he's—you know—this is not what he signed on for. But with that said, if they get everybody back together, this whole thing could click and click pretty quickly because when those three are on the court together, they're absolutely amazing, and I actually like the parts that the Nets have
0: assembled around them. Well, and yes, and, and one of those is Patty Mills. I thought that was a terrific move on the Nets' part. Uh, uh, and Nick Claxton played big last night, even though they lost. Uh, but you started to talk about the Knicks and watching them last night against the Grizzlies. The outcome didn't surprise me. Uh, I mean, the Grizzlies, I mean, John Morant didn't even play well last night, but he had a lot of help from a lot of people, uh, notably Zaire Williams, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. I think they combined for like 49 points or whatever it was. But John Morant, I mean, I don't know anybody in this league, Brian, who's more entertaining to watch than this kid.
2: It's amazing, right? He he is so fun to watch. And, And it's funny, on a night last night where I thought Morant was actually defended well by RJ Barrett last night, I thought he did a good job on him. But on a night where Morant didn't have it going and then probably the most underrated player in the league, Desmond Bain, who's a wonderful backcourt mate for Morant, he didn't have it going either. They found it in other places. And and listen, you keep their front office a ton of credit. These guys have done a tremendous, tremendous job making deals and unearthing some really good players. Keep in mind, okay, they traded up in this draft. They took on the salary of Steven Adams, who they thought, who replaced Valanchunas for them, they took on the salary of Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe, who they ended up flipping out flipping out to the Clippers just to move up in this draft to select Zyre Williams. Zach climate has done a tremendous job running this front office. Every move they make is right. They've had one move that hasn't worked for them, which is when they went and grabbed Justice Winslow at the trade deadline last year. Winslow was never healthy enough to play for them. Beyond that, every move they've made is right. And... This is, as much as we talk about John Moran, how exciting he is to watch, how he is a legitimate MVP candidate, how he's starting in the All-Star Game He deserves to start in the All-Star Game, the Memphis Grizzlies are much more than John Moran. The Memphis Grizzlies have a complete roster. They have an athletic roster. They are so young and so good. And keep one thing in mind, their best perimeter defender, Dylan Brooks, is going to come back for them. I'm going to tell you something. i say it right now, Howard. I think that the Grizzlies could end up being a team that's viable to go to the nba finals now listen the phoenix suns are playing better than anybody they're the clearly the best team in in probably the nba right now and certainly the best team in the western conference and they don't seem to have a discernible weakness but i i don't care who you are the suns the warriors name whoever you want to name in the east i don't want the memphis grizzlies in a playoff series they're
0: that good Uh, no i would agree completely uh i uh look you mentioned stephen adams Uh, to me You talk about the definition of a junkyard dog. It's this guy. I mean, has anybody crashed the boards harder than this guy? He had eight offensive rebounds last night.
2: He's terrific, and I'll give you a little thing with him. You know, he's one of the best guys, not only in the league, in the history of the league, at jump balls. (laughs) He starts at center, and
0: you laugh, but you know what? More games than nine. Yeah, the first possession of the game. Yep. He's handing you the ball to start the game, Steven Adams. It's a
2: little thing, but it's not a little thing. Game in and game out, you're deriving an advantage there. And listen, they what they saw here, Valanciunas was very good. For them. I mean, he's been very good for the Pelicans. He's a really good player. But they also, you know, Zach Lyman understood the bigger picture here for the Memphis Grizzlies, which is that if they're going to cultivate Jaron Jackson Jr. into a second star, they need to find someone that smothers him and stifles him next to play next to less to, play next to them, Valanchunas. And that's not a negative on Valanchunas. It's just who he is. They needed a guy that wasn't going to have the ball as much. They needed a guy that wasn't going to occupy Jackson's space on the floor on the offensive end. That's Steven Adams. It's a great vision by Zach Kleiman. It's an amazing move. And again, they took on a salary on a guy that was a better compliment to their other big man in getting Adams instead of Alan Tunis, and were able to trade up and select the player they really wanted, Zaire Williams, who last night had the best game of his career.
0: Let's go back to the Knicks. Uh, I've been saying this for weeks now. I don't know anybody who complains more to the officials than Tom Thibodeau than uh, than uh than julius randall these guys complain every single night ad nauseum. i mean to the point last night didn't randall got kicked out of the game after he had a technical with
2: like, with like 10 seconds left yeah
0: he he got uh, but the point is is that to me and my old high school coach used to say it and it so applies now don't bitch at the referees it takes you away from your focus and i think julius randall when you look at the last five games that he's played, his three-point shooting is is, an, is a nightmare. He's four for 20 the last five games, and he's had one good shooting night, the only win the Knicks have had in the last five games. But to me, there's got to be more. I don't see R.J. Barrett complaining to the officials. I don't see anybody else but Julius Randle and the head coach, and that's where it starts.
2: Well, this is what I'll say. So I, I'm going to defend Tom here. I coach AAU, Howard. When I coach AAU, I have a rule of my players. You don't talk to the refs, I do. My job is to complain to the officials. It is not your job to complain to the officials. So listen, Tom's always done that. Tom's job, partially, is to campaign to the officials for calls and get things explained. Julius Randle's complaining to the officials reeks of entitlement. This is a guy that made second team all-NBA last year and all of a sudden thinks he deserves calls like he's Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. That's not who you are. That's not who you will ever be on an NBA floor. The other thing I've heard rumblings about is somewhat of a disconnect between uh, Tom Thibodeau and Julius Randle. That where the message of working hard on defense and playing more unselfish basketball and having a, a just being more selective with the shots you choose is something that Randall has been resistant to this year. Has kind of felt like, listen, I am who I am here. I don't need this. I'm gonna do it my own way, and that's not clearly not working. Now listen, Leon Rose this past offseason got head faked a little bit. He, uh, and let me rephrase that. He allowed himself to get head they were a 41 31 team last year. They were the number four seed in the Eastern Conference. And he thought that that was a group that was worth bringing back together. And not only that, they wanted to supplement that group. They committed to some contracts in this offseason that, sure enough, the bad ones that they signed um, in Fournier, which was a terrible contract the day that, that ink was put to paper. Alec Burks, who I thought the whole time I should have kept Reggie Volk instead of Alec Burks yep. what he meant to them defensively. There was no doubt there. And listen, Howard, you know this. When, I, when, when, I, when the Knicks signed Campbell Walker, no one killed it more than I did. It was the wrong move up and down the line. It reeked of sentimentality and not really doing your homework on a player that we knew was shot and done and can't guard anybody. Now the Knicks are trying to get rid of all these guys. They want to shop all these guys. Now, more than any other reason, and, and Tom Pivot only on Rose, and I spoke to Brian Windhorst on my NBA radio show the other day, and Brian was talking about this. Tom Pivot only and Rose are very connected. The two of them, it's, you know, Pivot was the guy Rose wanted from the jump to coach this team. Right now, it's a situation where Rose is trying to get guys off this roster to get Divido to play the young He wants Cam Reddish getting minutes. But as long as Fournier's there, I don't know that that's going to happen. Listen, I don't know that they move Fournier. I think that they will move Burks. I think that's likely to happen. If Kemba Walker doesn't get moved, I think they're going to buy him out. I don't think they want him there anymore. And, and, And they'll just say goodbye to him. The other thing that's interesting, though, is Julius Randle. You know, Julius Randle right now, his contract extension they signed in the offseason hasn't even kicked in. And it's a very strange thing. People I talk to around the league think it's a toxic contract. Uh, again, Winhorst said to me the other day that he thinks that there's people around the league that still see value in Julius Randle's contract. I broached the topic with Winhorst on our show the other day of a potential deal where the two principals would be Julius Randle and De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento who's been sitting with left ankle soreness, which more than any other reason I think is, is Sacramento's way of keeping him on the bench between now and the trade deadline so he doesn't get hurt before that happens. I think the Knicks are playing Randle big minutes right now because they're trying to showcase him to be able to move in a trade and I will tell you when Alvin Gentry who coached Randle in New Orleans was asked about him after the Knicks Pelicans game, uh, I'm actually after the Knicks Kings game the other night he, he gushed about Randall. I could see that being the kind of deal that happens for the Knicks. The Knicks need to transition right now. You're not – listen, you, you don't even want to make the playoffs right now because if you make the playoffs, you're fodder for a better team. You don't get out of the play. You want to be in the lottery, keep your draft pick, and get a lottery pick and get off some of these contracts and start to play your young guys. The most important guy to get rid of is Randall because Obi Toppin needs to play flat out does. He has to be able to play. So you're going to be able to do that. I would love to see him get off. I think he'll get off Perks. I think Perks will be traded as well. And that will open a spot for Cam Reddish, which is, I think, enormously important. Because one guy they're not sitting down to get Cam Reddish minutes, is going to be Quentin Grimes, who's played fantastic for them. Mm -hmm. and looks like a really good young player. They got really good young players here. The other thing, the guy to watch, though, out of all those guys, the other guy to watch and the most interesting guy is Mitchell Robinson. Eight block shots last night. Has been playing out of his skull. But he's due a contract extension in this offseason. And if the Knicks don't want to pay him, the time to trade him and get value for him is now. And the truth of the matter is, if somebody really wants Mitchell Robinson, it may not be a bad thing to attach one of these contracts you don't like, whether it's a whoop or a Fournier or even a Burks, if you're not going to get value there, to Mitchell Robinson to move them off your team. Because I do know this, they like Jericho Sims a lot. And I don't know that necessarily they like Sims at his price tag, Versus Robinson at an elevated price tag. I think they might pick Sims. So it's going to be very interesting. And if the Knicks are not active, really active, in this trade deadline, I will That is that as a management failure, out.
0: I completely agree. Man, I was talking, my son in law is a huge Knicks fan. He has been forever, been a season ticket holder. And he, I said, the Knicks should trade Julius Randle. Well, you would have thought I stabbed him in the throat. What? How can we get rid of Julius Randle? I said because he doesn't fit. He's not a, He's not a number one guy. He's not a superstar. He's a good player. Uh, he would be a good number two or number three on a good team. He's not a star player. And uh, well,
2: I'll, I'll say this, Howard. I'll take it a step further. I don't even know that he can play with other stars because of his level of ball dominance. Fair. Right now, he is, to me, he is hurting R.J. Barrett's development. I really believe that he is, because I think all of this has to revolve around Barrett right now. And I think if you brought in a legitimate point guard like a De'Aaron Fox, who plays a speed game, and is a guy that is as interested in passing the ball as he is shooting it, and you opened up a spot for Obi Toppin to play a lot, because keep the other thing in mind about the Knicks: teams are playing smaller right now. You bring in a guy like Reddish, who's a six-nine wing. If you like, you're so backed up at the four spot right now that you're playing smaller ideas. End up with Randall at the five, which doesn't really work. You can essentially play yourself three big wings on the floor with Reddish playing a stretch four spot, Reddish, Barrett, Grimes, and have guys that can guard. Like, there's so many different things you can do if you free up four with Toppin as being your main four. Randall's and what he like, there's times Julius Randall will post up 20 feet away from the basket just to get the ball in his hands like it there's there's things that he does out there that are so that they're just they're they're antithetical to how you want to play team basketball the over dribbling like all of that And I think it just need they need to be able to get rid of them. And the thing is, this contract extension hasn't even kicked in yet. If you have somebody that'll give you value, as a matter of fact, if Sacramento asks for a first round pick, not this year's for the Knicks, but if they ask for the Dallas protected first round pick, and I think twenty three or twenty-four that the Knicks have from the Porzingis trade. Give him that with Randall. Give him a first with Randall. Get Randall off your books. Clear space for Obi Tompkins. And if you can get yourself a De'Aaron Fox level point guard, who, by the way, is not all that valued right now around the league because he's in year one of a five-year extension, and he has not played well at all this year. But I think a change of
0: scenery would do him wonders, and I think he'd be a much better fit in New York. You know it's confusing, Nick fans, Brian, is where they were last year. I think people thought, well, you know what? We won 41 games. Now we take the next step. Well, not that simple number one you got a deeper and stronger eastern conference uh i mean you can go i think it's probably deeper than the west right now for the first time and who knows when but you're looking at an eastern conference and you're right i i knicks at best are looking at a play-in position at the end because they've opened up there's 30 games left of the season they're not going to do what people think they're going to do all of a sudden get well and, and make a run there's too many good teams in front of them but when the, with the trade do, trade deadline coming up a week from today, I believe, who do you think in the East is primed to make a major move? Let me offer a possibility of the Boston Celtics. Don't they have to make some kind of a move? Yeah,
2: but I think for the Celtics, I'll go through a couple teams here in the East right now. I think for the Celtics, it's, you know, the, the most major move they could possibly make would be to, to move Marcus Smart. And that's something to keep an eye on. That would be a guy that would be their most major move. I know that they're talking to a lot of teams about Dennis Schroeder. I know they'd love to get off Josh Richardson and get him moved. They, the thing about the Celtics is this. They've identified this is not a championship-level roster. They don't think they can make a playoff run. They they made a trade recently with Denver to take on two guys that are out for the year, P.J. Dozier and Ball Ball, just to be able to get the lower their luxury tax bill. They'd like to be out of the tax. So I, I think you're going to see whatever deal they make, That's going to be the goal, to take them out of the tax. If they are able to get significant value from Marcus Smart, I could see a deal like that going down. But the separation of Tatum and Brown, at least right now, is not going to happen. I think Atlanta could be active. They already moved off Cam Reddish. John Collins and Trey Young don't get along. Hmm. Um, And I think you could see John Collins get moved. I think you can absolutely see the possibility of of Gallinari getting moved in a separate deal. Keep in mind this. They think DeAndre Hunter can play some poor form, a very important player of their team, does a really nice job. They also, uh, Aneka Kongu played really well in Capella's. And they see him as being, you know, an active defensive minded for as well for them. I don't think and I mean, they look at Collins and as much as they like Collins and like his offensive game, not the best defender. And listen, Trey is not an easy guy to get along with. But if you're not getting along with Trey there. There's not much place for you. So I think they could be a very active team in doing something. Look for Cleveland handsome, but you could see a Cleveland match. Winhorse mentioned this to me the other day a Cleveland Boston match involving Schroeder getting moved to Cleveland. We definitely needs another guard, losing, losing Sexton and Rubio for the year. I think Robin Lopez could get moved off Orlando. I think there's a couple interesting spots for him. I think Brooklyn could be a very interesting spot for Robin Lopez. That's a guy that they could use. I think Golden State potentially could use Robin Lopez, and I think he's a guy that could get moved. Indiana's holding out high prices on their guys, on Sabonis and LaBert. They're looking for two firsts for each. I don't think you get two firsts for each. I think they'll lower the price on LaBert. I don't think they'll lower the price on Sabonis. But I will also say this. Washington becomes an interesting team. Mm -hmm. Peel didn't play last night, Howard, and they go went to Philly and beat the Sixers. And you do wonder, like listen, Darr Morey in Philly is holding out for James Harden. But you wonder if Bradley Beal is dangled under his nose between now and next Thursday, if all of a sudden he doesn't turn around and say, Harden's a possibility. And I can do a Beal Deal now, right now, and send Simmons there and take advantage of m d having the greatest year of his career by a large margin and being able to make a run and putting a brand new deal on this team. You wonder if that's something that could occur. I've also heard some name attached to the Wizards. There's there could be a lot of activity out there with these Eastern Conference teams. You know, I you know, you hear Jeremy Grant's name a lot, you know, I think that they're holding a large price for him. But you know, even the Bulls, and she could get involved with Jeremy Grant if the Reinsdorf's want to go into the tax next year with signing Zach Lavine to a long-term deal. And if they're willing to trade a guy like a Patrick Williams because they think they can make a title run this year, the Bulls are a now team. So that's another interesting one to watch. There's a lot going on in the Eastern Conference trade-wise because these standings are so tight.
0: Well, you talk. Uh, look, the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. There's hardly any conversation about them, and I watch them. And yeah, Giannis is Giannis, and he's. He's in an MVP candidate. We get all of that, but every time I see Middleton with his hand on the ball at a certain place, I'm saying to myself, it's going up and it's going in. I mean, he's so reliable.
2: Yeah, he, listen, Middleton's excellent, and and Drew Holliday's had a great year for them. The, the one thing I'll tell you about them, and listen, they, you know, they haven't played as well recently their defense has waned a little bit um, and that's to be expected it's a dog days type of thing the Bucks are gonna you know the, before all said and done if you're gonna want to go to the finals you're gonna have to go through the Bucks. the Bucks are they're the world champions right now till they're not the one thing I'll tell you that's hampering the Bucks, as great as Bobby Portis has played for them and he's been outstanding playing the five and he will be their starting five in the playoffs they're not. They're likely to not have Brook Lopez in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Brook Lopez had back surgery. They have no idea when he's going to be back. I mentioned his brother Robin as being a candidate for the Nets, as being a candidate for the Warriors. He's also a candidate for the Bucs as a center off the bench. They need to get a little bit bigger. Listen, the Bucks currently constituted right now have a Joel Embiid problem, and they're not the only team in the conference that does. The Heat do. The Nets do. As a matter of fact, the Cavs are one of the few teams that don't. The Bulls do. Robin Lopez helps you solve the Joel Embiid problem. He can guard him. He's, he, you know, he's that. he doesn't do much in the offensive end, but he's, you know, he, he boxes out, he sets screens, he's physical. And to me, Lopez is a guy. In, when you take a look at this is a crazy thing, because he's not playing a ton for Orlando, but this is a crazy thing. When you look at how tight it is in the Eastern Conference between the Bulls, Heat, Sixers, Bucks, Cavs, and Nets. You look how tight all of that is. And even if you want to roll the Hornets and Rafters into it and go eight deep, and the Bible, the of the Rafters desperately need a pig. Robin Lopez is the kind of guy that could shift the balance of power in the Eastern Conference if he gets to one of these games.
0: Let me ask you one thing. Uh, I, I maintained at the beginning of the year when Westbrook was traded to the Lakers, I said, this is a terrible trade for LA. I thought they gave up too much. Uh, and now we're hearing rumblings. Uh, Westbrook could go here. He could go there. Do you think that the Lakers, uh, I, I don't a I question of whether or not they would. The question is, what can they get for him that's going to make them better? LeBron James is still not healthy. And Anthony Davis is, is a car wreck waiting to happen. So, I mean, can the Lakers ever get back into, uh, in, into contention? I don't think so.
2: The, listen, Westbrook's not going anywhere. And he's not going anywhere because they're never going to realize enough value. That's the bottom line. The only place I've heard that it could even be credible partially for Westbrook was New York, where the Knicks could rid themselves of bad contracts. But you do have to ask yourself this question. Like, are, are the Lakers better off with Fournier, Walker, and Burks than they are with Westbrook? My answer is no. I don't think so, because I, I, I wouldn't do that. I, just, I mean, yes, Fournier provides some shooting. Brooks provides some shot making. I just, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, listen, the Rockets won't even really move John Wall for him at this stage. They're not interested in doing that. I don't know that you get off Westbrook this year. Would you have a chance this summer when more cap space opens up in certain spots? It's possible. The biggest disappointment for the Lakers in improving this team, obviously injuries have been a problem. Taylor Horn Tucker is a guy that they, they didn't trade for Kyle Lowry last year. Because they were asked to put Horton Tucker in a deal. Horton Tucker hasn't played enough for that. He just hasn't. Right. He's been one of the worst shooters in the league. I don't know why he's in a three point shooting contest. He's been, he has shot the ball poorly. He's a little undersized to be the defender they thought he would be. He's disappointed. That was your trade chip. That was your guy to take and go get something for. And right now, no one's all that interested. And, and the thing is for the Lakers, you know, when you look at making trades in the NBA and matching up salaries, these mid tier salaries are so important to you. Like, look at a team like the Clippers, where they have a guy like Marcus Morris making 16 mil, right? A guy like Kennard making 16 mil. Even the, the, the Abakas and the Zubaches, all right, who are making these mid tier salaries. Abaca making nine and a half, Zubach making eight. Like, these are contracts that you put in deals that have value because the players can play and the contracts are easy to match up. The Lakers have one easy-to-match-up contract, Taylor Horton Tucker. That's it. And they're they're trying to trump it like, Kendrick Nunn as being a trade ship when the guys have played this year. Like, right. they, just, they just don't have those kinds of contracts, and they don't have those kinds of players. They have trapped themselves. They are stuck. And essentially what they're going to have to do next year is do a full reload of minimum-salary players around their big three salaries
0: in Davis, James, and Westbrook. That's where they're at, and I don't think they're getting themselves out of it i don't disagree before i let you go i talked before about thibodeau being you know a guy who's on the referees all the time but i think there's a uh, there's a coach out there who's a lot more animated and maybe more athletic and that's doc rivers he complains a ton
2: he does howard he complains a lot to the refs and he's on his players a lot you know the thing for doc is this and I like Doc. I've always liked Doc. He's transparent, sometimes to a fault, i.e. the Ben Simmons situation. And Doc is very well respected by players, and he's not afraid to get on, guys. He's won a title. He knows what it takes in terms of that. But I've got to see Doc perform better as a coach, adjustment-wise, in the playoffs.
1: Doc's playoff failures have really accumulated, Howard.
2: And And I thought that last year against the Hawks was a series his team had no business losing and as much as everybody wants to lay that at Ben Simmons' doorstep, Joel Embiid had eight turnovers in game seven of that series including a huge one with three minutes left. Doc did not adjust personnel. Doc did not adjust scheme as things were getting away from him. Doc, he just, he he was a deer in the headlines and when you look back look back at his Clipper team and their levels of failure it's the same thing deer in the headlights right i mean it's this is what continues they threw a 3-1 lead in the bubble to denver like and these and these quite a lot of championship player we won titles in two different locations he's been mvp in, in two different locations you know at a certain point in time some of this falls on the coach look back to the clipper days listen chris paul had his share of failures there's no doubt but you're seeing what chris paul can do right now he went to the finals last year like, you can't just put all this on the players. Some of this hangs on Doc a little bit, and and I'm very interested to see. And that's one of the reasons here if I'm Daryl Morey. Like, I get you want a top 20, top 25 player for Ben Simmons, but you can't get fixated on Harden. If Bradley Beal is out there for the taking for you with a Simmons package and you don't have to throw in a Maxi, you don't have to throw in a 5 and maybe it costs you a first or two with Simmons to bring in Bradley Beal, and you know you're going to extend him do it just do it because right now you never know when mp and mp listen the whole thing about mp's health i think we make too much of also just to the extent that he's in much better condition than he's ever been right now in his yes. career and his his good health you can certainly attribute that to it with that said you don't want to squander too many opportunities to win a championship with him and with the way this team's played this year you have one right
0: now i completely agree uh and on the doc rivers issue yes just look at the track record you're right on That's the money correct. You're right on the money, like you always are, Geltz. I appreciate your insight. Thanks a million, pal, and you stay safe.
2: You do the same, Howard. It's always my pleasure, pal. We'll talk soon. Take care.
0: Thanks. Brian Geltzider, Sirius XM, NBA Radio. As he's talking, I'm sitting there nodding my head (laughs) because he's right. Doc Rivers' track record in, in big spots in playoff series down the stretch, not very good, particularly when he was with the Clippers as their head coach. Not very good. Now you got Joel Embiid playing at MVP level and Ben Simmons hasn't played a minute. I don't know about you, but I would have traded Ben Simmons a long time ago. He hasn't played a minute for you and you're playing well, you're doing well. You're third in the the East right now. Imagine if you had another player to help Embiid and Tobias Harris and that crowd. And Thibault playing great. I think Philadelphia is a real, real candidate to go deep into the playoffs. I think they can do it without another player for Ben Simmons, but it would be my recommendation to do that. But I'm not going to tell Daryl Morey what to do. He's a pretty smart guy. Thanks for you being a part of taking a bite of the Big Apple. I'm Howard David. You stay safe.